What is good, everyone? Good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Injured Reserve Podcast with your host, me, myself, and I, Mitchell Anderson. Uh, First things first, I have to apologize. I know I've been two weeks long overdue for an episode. I've just been slacking lately with work and school, so again, I apologize. Uh, With that being said, man, a lot of happened, a lot of things happened in two weeks. Got a lot to cover. You know, the NBA Finals, six games, Toronto, sh- shocking the world. Uh, questionable, uh, I would say, to a certain extent when it comes to Golden State being riddled with injuries and whatnot. Kevin Durant, you know, suffering that Achilles injury. So things to elaborate on there. Uh, Bellator 22, tw- uh, Bellator, excuse me, Bellator 222 last night. Chael Sonnen retired, lost to Lialdo Machida, lost to him by technical knockout. Roy McDonald defending his welterweight title, still the welterweight king of Bellator. Uh, man, UFC, a couple of big pay-per-views coming up. John Jones, his title, title defense pretty soon here in July. NFL kickoff, less than 90 days out, 86, give or take. Uh, Oakland Raiders, you know, they're going to be the preview or or the new thing this upcoming season when it comes to the Hard Knocks life. So we're going to get an in-depth analysis and how that locker room is going to shake up, you know, with the drama that they have going on. Not so much drama right now, but with AB in that locker room, who knows what can happen. So, but let's just jump right into it, man. So, hey, six games, Toronto. And you heard it here first when I said, you know, I Golden State, I didn't give Toronto a shot. I, I said six games, Golden State, possibly five. And to everyone, you know, surprise, Toronto's just that team, man, where it's one of those, they're one of those eccentric teams. I, want, I shouldn't even say eccentric because truth be told, it's just a normal thing and how things operated, you know, 15 20 years ago you had that one superstar and the whole other players around you you know were able to rally and have your backup and even if you went cold Kawhi Leonard NBA Finals MVP he did his thing pretty much damn near a double double around 26 uh 26 and 10 and 4 uh well deserved no doubt uh he was a little shaky game six to finish off Golden State and, you know, the final game in Oracle Arena, um, it was a wild one. You know, um, all these games, uh, Kyle Lowry, who was able to come up big, um, you know, putting up over 20-plus points, and Siaka did his thing as well. So a couple key contributors to that Raptors offense, no doubt. And you could see on, you know, Golden State, their defense has never been their go-to Steph Curry, even when it came to a guard in Siaka, he wanted no smoke whatsoever. He didn't want a part of him. You could see it in game six. There was a, there was a part in the game where he could have guarded, guarded him straight up as he was bringing the ball, you know, half court. And he pointed at someone else to get him. He knew <laughs> uh, Siaka was too much for him, you know, hence why he put up 20-plus uh, points in game six. 
which ultimately ultimately led to their demise. Um, the question is, a lot of people are talking now, is, you know, what happens here on out? A lot of things, you know, the, the narrative changes now. So it's just like Golden State, it's like, it's like, oh, Katie joined us. We never needed him. Now it's just like, well, we lost in the finals now. Toronto smoked us. I, I shouldn't say smoked us, but they beat us straight up for the most part. Truth be told, Clay Thompson getting hurt, and God bless him and Durant and fast recovery. ACL and Achilles, those aren't no minor injuries, as in knee sprain or whatever it may be. Those are significant injuries that, you know, that impacted players' career in the long run. And to say Clay Thompson, he, that's more of a six months rehabilitation. So we won't see him until probably sometime. I, I'm going to say pre prediction, I would say sometime after December, January, somewhere in the 2020 uh, year, midway through NBA season. That, you know, that's if he's fully recovered. Things go well in rehabilitation. I've torn my ACL before. I was back in four months. Uh, you know, and that's with a torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus. My meniscus was so torn that they had to, it was beyond repair. So I have an ACL and MCL repair. And I was back in four months. Uh, so with good doctors, Golden State, I'm sure, paying the best of the best. I'm sure, you know. Who knows, he could be back sooner, but I would say a 2020 season, he'll be back fully recovered, full at strength. Now with KD, that's another different scenario. Uh, they say the ACL injury is the second worst injury you can get when it comes to being an athlete. And the first is the Achilles. Now Achilles is basically, you know, I would say I can't exactly remember but it's like a little bit lower behind the calf kind of near the heel give or take somewhere in that area and the thing is it's how can I say this it's gonna we're not gonna see him next season that's gonna take a full year the season just ended so we're talking I mean so June he's definitely not gonna be back by October uh, if he somehow returns by miracle in 2020, it won't. Uh, it, there's no point in coming back, to be honest with you. Just stay full health, full recovery mode, take a year off, and you know it's it's and that's why the Achilles injury is the worst one you can get as an athlete. You 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 lose a year, you know you get older. You gotta get back in shape into everything. Rehabilitation, get used to being back on your feet again. Be able to use that calf muscle on top of the Achilles. Get that repaired. Then you gotta get back in basketball shape. Then you start conditioning, cardio, endurance. Get your shooting back on on point. Is he gonna be the same player? Is he gonna be so-so? You know, the KD that we saw in game five where he put up what, 11, 12 points was three for three behind the three-point line? That's going to come into question. You know, are we going to see that KD that like we knew him before? So it's, it's an iffy thing because basically, you know, it ultimately, 
ultimately led to Kobe Bryant's demise, led to his retirement. Once he tore his Achilles, he wasn't necessarily the Kobe Bryant that we once knew 10 years ago. He wasn't that NBA uh, MVP. He wasn't the two-time finals MVP. He was a 36, 37-year-old Kobe Bryant. You know, so with that being said, it's it, it takes a toll not only on losing a year, but on an athlete's health and overall. So I, if I, before this injury, I had KD going like another 10 years. Now, with that being said, depending on how this process works with him, and I'm sure he's going to have the best doctors in the world, I would say maybe he's got six years. And if he plans to stay longer, then it's going to take, you know, he, he won't be that same guy. That's if he is the same guy when he originally returns, come not next season, but the season after that. And another question is, where do we go from here? From him, from the perspective of free agency, is he going to stay with Golden State now? You know, Golden State was, you know, they rallied around him. They made him feel like a brother. That's how it is in the locker room. That's how they showed it. You know, so they generally do care about him. So I may, you know, I've been making predictions forever that him and Kyrie were going to the Knicks. Now, since his injury, there's rumors that, you know, Kyrie and KD, that Knicks thing, that ain't going to happen. They're best friends. So obviously with that injury, Kyrie is, just, is thinking joining the Brooklyn Nets, as reported. And De- D'Angelo Russell, he's out of there. Wherever they send him, I don't know. Uh, what they're going to do with him, not a clue. But that's just speculation right now. So, man, it's just it's crazy just a turn of events just within a player like KD who he got cleared by the doctors and he was hurt, yes, indeed. But you know, we see him out there. He can't. He he didn't look fine to me. It was like he was he was running, but he wasn't running. Running. He wasn't full out sprinting. It seemed like it didn't look like he was in pain, but it just looked like something was kind of bothering him. Despite him, you know, putting putting up 11, 12 points, uh, and he was only in the game for I think maybe 15 minutes, if that. So. That being said, it's just, it gives a whole, you know, it gives the whole Kawhi Leonard thing a little different perspective now. Because now, doctors from teams, you know, are going to be questioned by the athletes under that organization. Now, I, I'll, be for, I'll be on record to first admit I criticize Kawhi Leonard. It didn't make sense to me. It's just like the team doctor's literally clearing you to play, and he didn't play. And he got a second, you know, reference from his own doctor, and he said he wasn't fully healthy. So that puts things into perspective as an athlete, and that's going to, you know, cause a domino effect on other athletes as well. It's like all the team doctors said, you're good, you're cleared, you're good to go. And as an athlete like Kawhi, he's like, I don't feel right. So he went and got a second opinion, and the doctor was like, you're not all right. So now you got to think of all these other athletes that are thinking like, man, like, 
I just saw what KD, what happened to him, and how many millions of dollars he just lost because he was going to get a big, fat paycheck come free agency, a big payday. Now, he's hurt. Now, he's going to be less than that. Now, other teams and organizations and other GMs are going to question whether or not he's going to be that same guy. Is he going to be the Kevin Durant that's a two-time finals MVP? Is he going to be a Kevin Durant that's a regular season MVP? So, that's, you know, a lot of a lot of things got, you know, got turned around. And it's just, it's sad to see, you know. So, we'll see what happens there. Uh, of course, it's going to be a long time. We'll see how this offseason goes. And who knows, KD could not be signed with anyone. He could consider his options free since, like I said, he's not going to play next season. So he he doesn't have to commit to anyone right now. He can take a year off and just focus on himself. God bless him physically and mentally. So, <clears throat> but with that being said, who knows? Like the, the quiet Leonard thing, like I said, I you know, looking back on it, I was wrong to criticize, you know, being trying to get a mind sight as an athlete it makes sense now it's like I need to get a second opinion because this is my career you know I want to know when you know I want to I want to play when I feel like I can play when I know I'm healthy because if I go out there and play and I get significantly hurt like clay and tear and ACL or KD there goes my big payday there goes my you know my stairway to heaven when it comes to making that financial stability for my future and the rest of my family. So, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Lee in Toronto, one-year contract, uh, you know, they, they took that risk, and man, they ran with it. So whether or not he's going to stay in Toronto, that's a good question. I think right now the rumors are that they'll give him a short-term deal that's a hefty payday. So, and then he can consider where, where and what he wants to do. Or he, who knows? Kawhi Leonard's an eccentric dude, but at the same time, not really. Because as an athlete, we're used to seeing athletes kind of being outspoken and talking media. And he's kind of timid and quiet. And there's nothing wrong with that. God bless him. I'm happy that, you know, that make an accomplishment like this. Now a two-time champion. So... And especially doing it in new balances too. That's even more impressive. But with that being said, um, it's just uh, I don't know. This off season, it's just uh, we'll see if Kawhi. You know, I think he stays in Toronto now. Even if he leaves, I think you know. You can't be mad at him. As a Raptors fan, you absolutely positively cannot be mad at this man. He literally elevated your team to another level compared to, no you know, no offense to no hate on DeMar DeRozan, but he couldn't do that. Him and Lowry, they always got stuck against Cleveland and uh, LeBron James. But once they got Kawhi there, and granted, yes, LeBron's in the West, still, he was able to take Toronto to another to you know their first NBA title in franchise history. So they can't really be mad at him if he if he does just does a one and done type of deal. But I don't think he'll I don't think he'll leave 
People are saying he might go to the Clippers. I don't think that's going to happen because I think the Clippers are just a slightly less talented roster compared to Toronto. You know, and I'm not, that's not uh, hate on the Clippers. They're a solid team. I just think they're not as talented as, you know, what they have on their roster. And speaking of talent, let's take a little comparison here. And, you know, one thing I was realizing as I'm watching this series, and I'm like, man, Toronto is like, <clears throat> they're operating not just a team full of superstars, they're operating as a unit. They they know what to do, when to do it. They got the objectives. They got you know so and so. They got the to do their role. This and that. They're not a full out shootout kind of type of deal. So I'm looking more into it. And truth be told, whether people like to admit it or not, I mean, man, <coughs> the these this Toronto Raptors. <clears throat> Um, they're basically almost a spitting image of the 2015 NBA Finals of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, before everyone goes crazy on me, just listen up. Now, 2015, the narrative was, you know, Cleveland lost Kyrie Irving. Cleveland lost, you know... Uh, Kevin Love, he, he was hurt before the finals even began, I think. And so you had Golden State, <coughs> Steph Curry, he averaged 26 in that finals. Iguodala, 16. Clay was uh, 15. Draymond with 13. So you take that roster and you take the roster of Cleveland back in 2015. And it's almost identical compared to this year's Toronto Raptors. You look and you see Timothy Mozgov putting up 14. Kyle Lowry's putting up 16. J.R. Smith's putting up 11. And, <coughs> excuse me, and Siaka's doing that similar thing. I mean, man, whether the, the and I'm a fan of LeBron. I, I repeatedly say this because people think I'm hating on him. I'm not. I'm a fan of LeBron, but the diehard fans out there, the absolutely positively diehard fans, man, they <clears throat> they swear. And they, they, they stick with the argument of LeBron's never had help. Kyrie got hurt. And that's the excuse for his finals loss. Listen. It's time to be real for a second. <laughs> Whether people like to admit it or not, Kawhi Leonard did what LeBron James couldn't do. And the difference between Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James is that they operate as a unit, while as LeBron James, they operate around LeBron. There's nothing wrong with that. But truth be told, you look at the, you know, you look at their resume. Yeah, LeBron's gonna have the stats, he's gonna have the accomplishments, he's gonna have the awards. But how does that play out in the long run? Like I always said, LeBron James is the Peyton Manning of the NBA. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong whatsoever. You know, he he's going to break all the records. He's going to pass a few guys the accolades he's got. Kudos to him. But when it comes to that finals and that Super Bowl appearances, eh, 
when it comes to the, the GOAT argument, come on now. Let's be real. So, you know, it is what it is. Or we can even t- perhaps take the comparison of last year's finals with Cleveland and Golden State. We can do that too. It's just the, the Toronto Raptors, their talent is identical as Cleveland four years ago. It's just Kawhi Leonard, he's their leader. He's able to rally the troops. You know, Nick Nurse did a good job, but we all know Nick Nurse isn't bringing Toronto Raptors to the finals without Kawhi. So he's a solid coach, but Kawhi Leonard, hey, he was able to operate that team. And even though he he may not be outspoken publicly, but he does a a damn good job of, you know, being well-rounded with other players. And man, when it's just, it's kind of like, you know, Toronto, no one's going to remember, you know, 10 years ago, no one's going to, they're going to remember what Kawhi Leonard did. They're not going to be able to remember Siakam, Van Fleet, maybe Kyle Lowry. That's it. And LeBron, he had Mozgov. He averaged 14. JR averaged 12. Tristan Thompson averaged a double-double, 10 and 13. While, you know, Kawhi, he averaged 29 and 10. Siakam, he stepped up big. He, he, you know, he averaged 19 and 8. 16 for Lowry. Van Fleet with 14. Gasol with 12. Obaka with 11. The difference in that team, really, is just how they operated. You know, how they were able to communicate with one another. With LeBron, it was just, it was LeBron or bust. You know, so him, you know, he was shooting 40%. They're really, you know, 39, 40%, 30% from the three, 68% from free throw. Uh, he's one of those guys, you know, he, he, he goes all out. He gives it everything. He just tries too hard. He doesn't look every, he doesn't look at everything, you know, as a general, see what's on the battlefield. How can I do this? How can I operate this guy? Role players. So, it's things of that nature that, you know, that makes, you know, the difference of leaders between Kawhi and LeBron. I'm not saying talent-wise that Kawhi's better as LeBron. But leadership, Kawhi, no doubt. Because it showed. <clears throat> but either way, I mean, man. It's um, it's a it's it's just a recognition that people fail to realize, and people are like, "Oh, the injuries." KD played. It's like, okay, well, KD was in Golden State back in 2015, and they still lost in six games. So, Kawhi Leonard, you know, one All Star against three All Stars, and he did it. So it's just, it's just one of those things that it's just, you know, I got, I got to make the narrative make sense for some people that, you know, they don't understand that (laughs) uh, people, you know, is LeBron James is going to have a phenomenal career, top 10 player, maybe top five. Like I said, who have all the stats, but he's just not that go-to guy. 
you know, so. But with that being said, I'm going to take a quick little break and you are listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Injured Preserve Podcast. So, Bellator 222 happened last night, Madison Square Garden. You know, the Mecca. You know, the uh, a place that you want to hold. I mean, you want to have a big event, right? Something huge. And Bellator did a good job of doing that last night. Uh, you know, title defense well done by Roy McDonald. Uh, Roy McDonald has done a... Phenomenal job so far in his career, defending his welterweight title. Got against Renette, <coughs> excuse me, Renzo Gracie. I probably chopped up his first name, uh, but you know, uh, watching that fight, uh, Roy McDonald did a phenomenal job uh, off the ground. Gracies are always known for you know their Brazilian jiu-jitsu and their submission and how they operate. They're dangerous on the ground, nonetheless. If you get in the ground, uh, normal, you know, Joe Blow like myself is gonna get tapped out in three seconds. But uh, what Roy McDonald, just to see him, because I remember watching him about eight years ago, him coming up and just how talented he is, and it's amazing to see a fighter, you know, see how significantly dangerous they've gotten, and you know improve their game they didn't stay one-dimensional the older they get uh they have to you know expand their inventory of skills and abilities that's what he's been able to do and i don't know if he switched gyms or changed gyms as far as i know the last time i heard he was still training under you know the same training camp as george st pierre who recently retired a couple weeks ago now, with that being said, he did a phenomenal job. There were times where it looked like he was going to get submitted, and it looked very uncomfortable. Gracie able to get a few knee bars, possibly. But him working the ground with Gracie, phenomenal work. I don't know how he got all of those, but like I said, normal guys like myself, we would, you know, tap in three seconds, no doubt, no problem. Um... Last night, also kind of surprising, uh, end of a, I believe, a 22-year career for future uh, MMA Hall of Famer, Chael Sonnen. Uh, Chael Sonnen versus Lyoto Machida. Chael Sonnen, 42 now, against a 41-year-old Lyoto Machida. Um, you know, ending his career, 31 wins, 17 losses, one draw. Uh, for those, you know, he's had a stellar career defeating, you know, legends like himself. Uh, he's, he, his resume speaks for itself. He, he's never faced in the easy competition. Quentin Rampage, Jackson, a few notable victories along with uh, Wanderlei Silva, Mauricio Shogun Rua, Michael Bigsbing, Brian Stan, Nate the Great, Marcourt. Um, but man, uh, 
when you have a resume like that, no doubt that sets you up for future Hall of Fame material. Um, you know, and it's kind of sad to see, you know, someone like that. <clears throat> it's kind of, for those who don't know, about, uh, give or take, about seven years ago, his rivalry with Anderson Silva, every great fighter needs that one great fight that makes them remember their, you know, their record. And that's what Chael Sonnen did between him and Anderson Silva. Uh, you know, the there was a time where, you know, him and Silva, he, he started this rivalry uh, back in, I think, my, hell, my senior year, like nine years ago or so. And uh, it was for the middleweight championship. And it was this was during Anderson Silva's prime, his era of domination in the middleweight division of the UFC. No one would even come close to Anderson Silva. Everyone that came in his path, he just destroyed. Forrest Griffin, Dan Henderson, Chris Levin. Uh, no one could come close. Uh, Rich Franklin, not once but twice, even once in, in his own hometown. So Silva was just, you know, no one could come close or even touch him. And then that one great fight happened. You know, Chael Sonnen had that opportunity. And their first fight was phenomenal. UFC 117, Oakland, California. He was dominating all five rounds. All he had was less than two minutes to go. And Silva just comes out of nowhere, you know, with that submission, that triangle armbar. And that was it. You know, he was able to submit Chael Sonnen. And the what people forget about that fight was that Chael Sonnen... Uh, he was winning that entire fight. The takedown, his takedowns on Anderson Silva was amazing. It was just, it was nonstop. Um, so it was just, it was one of those things, you know. And <clears throat> it, unfortunately, uh, it wasn't this, their 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 second fight. Didn't wasn't so much the first. First was phenomenal. Then he was able to come back. Unfortunately, he did, you know, test positive for elevated testosterone levels. But with UFC nowadays, I don't know if that's even a thing because, you know, they have their controversy with John Jones and Brock Lesnar. I don't know how they're used to uh, how they test their athletes because evidently if you fail a drug test, you can, I guess, move it from one venue to another venue that will prove the fight like they did uh, with John Jones and, uh, uh, what's his name? Anthony Smith, uh, when they did that a couple months ago, taking it from Vegas to, to California, but that's no diss on John Jones, but I'm just saying like, I don't know, you know, if I don't UFC and their drug testing has fluctuated or in their policy. So I don't know if that would have been a problem back then. So and then Brian Stan, he comes back and then beats Michael Bixbing and then fights Silva again and lose by technical knockout. Ends in the second round. So, you know, he, this dude is one of those guys that he, he has no issue fighting anybody. Hell, I mean, after he lost his devastating loss to Anderson Silva, he vol- someone gets hurt for a John Jones event, you know, <clears throat> And he's like, he raises his hand like, yeah, I'll fight him. 
that's for a light heavyweight for a light heavyweight championship. And for those who don't know, I mean, fighting a light heavyweight, um, he 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 had experience in fighting a light heavyweight before, but that was like eight years prior to fighting John Jones. So him to like, yeah, I'll fight at 205, even though I haven't done it in eight years. I mean, it takes, you know, anyone that takes a lot of courage to do. And that's what he did. And granted, yeah, he didn't, he, he didn't win and he lost in the first round to John Jones. But guys like that, that shows your kind of character. It's like, yeah, I'll fight him. Why not? I mean, short notice too, by the way. Um, so with things, man, things like that, it's just uh, guys like Chael Sonnen, definitely future Hall of Famer. Respect to him, 41 years old. Um, like I said, his, I, I gave you his resume. He's, he's, uh, he's a legend, no doubt. Uh, with Leo Machida, impressive win, uh, man. And it, with the thing about this fight that resonates the most was it reminded me almost like a Ryan Bader, Ryan Bader, uh, Fedor Emelianenko fight, except this one was a little bit, uh, longer. It's just the thing that's phenomenal about Leo Machida is that he's still, not only is he still fighting at 41, he's still fighting like, you know, like he's in his 30s. He's still, he's still fast, he's still quick, he's still versatile, he's still elusive. And man, when he landed those punches with Chael Sonnen a few times where he could have finished them, it's just, man, he still has that power. Uh, you know, so... <clears throat> He's still a dangerous guy. He's still a dangerous dude. He's on a four-fight win streak. Um, so he's 2-0 in Bellator. So with that, I mean, that was his light heavyweight bout. So and he's been, he moved down to middleweight for a little bit. And then, he, you know, fighting Cheryl light heavyweight. There's a chance that, you know, they could make a match it, uh, match between him and uh, Ryan Bader. It, it seems like that... Match makes more sense now for Bellator. Now that Ryan Bader is a two-time, he's a double champ champ of Bellator, like heavyweight champion and heavyweight, winning that Grand Prix. It makes sense that be your next headline. Lieto Machido versus Ryan Bader for the light heavyweight uh, crown. Uh, and and even then, I mean, people forget Lieto Machido. He's one up on Bader. He, he knocked him out. Back, uh, you know, seven years ago uh, during their UFC era. So it'd be that that headline makes sense the most. And people forget that, granted, yeah, he's 41, but he's still dangerous. Uh, during his up and coming early years in UFC, he was, you know, he was tearing guys apart. He was beating guys, Tito Ortiz. Uh, Diago Silva, Shad Evans, Shogun Rua, uh, Randy Couture, evidently leading to Randy Couture's final, uh, his final fight of his career. I mean, my God, uh, that was knockout of the night, uh, beating Randy Couture. Randy Couture, you know, that was his retirement fight, and you could, like I said, another example of father time. Just like Chael and Fedor, Randy Couture, he was slow. He was like 45, I think, at that point. And Lieto landed this. He KO'd Randy Couture with a crane kick. And my God, like, that was, ugh. It's one of the most gruesome KOs I've ever seen. 
in the history of MMA. It's probably top five, you know, right up there with Dan Henderson knocking out Michael Bigsbing and uh, Fedor Emelianenko knocking out Andre Avlowski. So it's uh, those knock that, that is such a devastating knockout. So, but if anything, I would have to say Leo Machida, Ryan Bader, light heavyweight championship, Bellator be your next event. Make it happen. It makes sense to me. So, I mean, four fight win streak. I mean, hey, I mean, it just makes sense. Uh, that's all I can say. I'm not trying to sound like a broken record to anyone. <coughs> Excuse me. But hopefully that'd be the next big fight. Who knows? But. Chael Sonnen even, you know, he went on record last night. He wasn't planning on retiring, but it's kind of sad because he knew after that fight against Lyoto, he didn't have the toughness. It, he wasn't as quick. So it, it's just, you know, him looking out for his safety. And that's what's important at the end of the day. So with that, Bellator 222 in the books. Uh, Gergard Masasu versus Raviel Lovato Jr. Uh, those who don't know, um, Gergard Masasu, uh, I'm probably chopping up his name. He's a danger, one of the most dangerous fighters in the world. Very underrated, very underappreciated. He's a middleweight, and this man is dangerous. Um, as much high praise as I gave Roy McDonald, Roy McDonald got torn down by Masasu uh, back in September of 2018 for the middleweight he defending his middleweight Bellator championship knocked him out knocked out Rafael Carvalho so and went the for, for his first title against Rafael Bellator 200 this dude is dangerous this man shakes up anyone he's knocked out Chris Weidman Vitor Belfort Uriah Hall Dan Henderson, this dude is very underrated, very underappreciated. I mean, man, you just look at his re- his record; it just speaks for itself. Forty five wins, only six losses. Forty five wins, thirty eight of them have been finished either by twenty six by knockout, twelve by submission, only seven by decision. Excuse me, decision. I mean, most likely when you watch a fight like this guy, you're going to see he, someone's getting knocked out or submitted. And the chances are most likely on his side. So he's a, he's a dangerous dude. That's the next Bellator. So definitely I'm probably going to have to scope that one out if I get, if I get, a, <clears throat> excuse me, if I get a shot June 22nd. So that's actually next week around this time, next Saturday. <clears throat> but with that being said, uh, I'm going to take a quick little break and you are listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. are back so UFC 238 happened about a week ago today and for those who don't know one of my favorite fighters to follow is Tony Ferguson and 
the fight between him and Donald Cerrone was everything that lived up to the hype. Everything we imagined it, thought it would be, it was. A uh, very hard fight between Ferguson and Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Unfortunately, it was a doctor stoppage at the end of the second round. And I know a lot of fans were pretty, you know, heated that, you know, they had the doctor to stop in. But it made, it makes sense. At the end of the day, all fighters want to go back to their families. Um, the main event was Henry, uh, God, I'm, <coughs> I'm chopping up people's names today, so I'll apologize in advance. It was for the, the vacant Bantamweight Championship. So UFC flyweight champion Henry Coedo, uh, was facing former World Series of Fighting Bantamweight Champion, uh, Marion Morez. And that fight was just as phenomenal as Ferguson and Cerrone. Uh, Morez, for the most part, was actually winning that fight against Coedo. What's crazy, you know, what's crazy about this sport in general is that, you know, these fighters, every round, you're getting tips and whatever things that might be able to help them go into the next round. What Henry was able to do, Mario Morez, you know, eventually he... He ended up getting knocked out by Henry in the third round. Is What's eccentric and crazy about this sport is that when you see a fighter winning a round or a round and a half or two rounds, and all of a sudden, you know, they get KO'd or smitten like that, it's just like, man, how, how did he manage to make a comeback like that? And what Henry was able to do, what makes all these fighters impressive and fun to watch and you appreciate about them is that they are able to not only come in there and develop a game plan and they watch film they see what they're about to do and what they have to do in order to beat their opponent they also what makes a good fighter to a great fighter is them to become innovative and that's what henry was able to do come to third round he, you know he's beating them he has heavy hands and all this and that because, you know, uh, flyweight's just a division lower than bantamweight. So, him, you know, that, that so he's carrying a little bit extra weight. Him knocking out Marion Moraes was just very impressive. Because Marion was winning for the most part in the stand-up. And then Henry just able to counter and technical knockout. And now he's, he, he's double champ champ of UFC now as well. You know, he's the Bantamweight and Flyweight champion of UFC. So he's definitely he's definitely top 10 pound for pound, one of the best fighters in the, uh, in the world right now. He's up there with John Jones and Ryan Bader, <clears throat> excuse me, and Amanda Nunes. So you got to... It's just uh, guys like that becoming not one but two division champs. It, that's a hard thing to... to achieve in that sport boxing it's a little different because the weight cuts not as dramatic but this going up 10 15 pounds or down man that, that your game plan your your strength everything gets depleted so you have to become innovative and adapt so what those guys both of them were able to do is just impressive alone so great fight but definitely i think fight of the night was tony ferguson and donald cerrone what Tony Ferguson, for those who don't know, like I said, he's my favorite fighter. Um, him, he originally out of Muskegon, Michigan, 
played football, Muskegon Catholic football. Uh, he actually won a state title. Cause I knew it because he mentioned it in his uh, post-fight interview. He, he still wears a Muskegon Catholic uh, title ring with him when he won it with MCC back in his heyday, back in like 2002, I think. You know, so, and it's cool about him because he's one of those guys that, you know, football, wrestling, uh, I believe, I think, I can't remember his background exactly. I think he wrestled at, I think he went to Central. I might get some of the fighters mixed up, but as far as I know, it's cool because he even stated that recently he was just back up in Muskegon. Uh, jogging along the side of Lake Michigan, so that's cool. Uh, but yes, uh, no, he he did end up uh, eventually going to CMU, and then he transferred to Grand Valley. Um, you know, he did uh, collegiate wrestling uh, at the 160 pound pound division. And this dude, I don't know how Tony Ferguson doesn't have a title shot yet. Um, He's an interim lightweight champion, so but just to make it significant, he beat Kevin Lee back in October 2017. He beat Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone, and these aren't by decision. He's he's finishing these guys left and right. These are high-caliber guys. Kevin Lee's a phenomenal fighter. Anthony Pettis, definitely phenomenal. He's definitely, you know, top 10 in the uh, lightweight division. Donald Cerrone, definitely top 10, no doubt. Um... Uh, he's beaten Rafael Dos Anjos, fight of the night. Um, <clears throat> and again, another another uh, guy that's going to be a future Hall of Famer. He hasn't lost since 2012 uh, against Michael Johnson. But other than that, man, he's been on a he's been on a winning streak. Um, he's been he's won 13 straight or 12 straight, and. Most of his fights um, out of that winning streak, only about three of them were by decision. Other than that, he's taking guys out. So, uh, you know, the fight, you you would think that would make sense is possibly him and Khabib or um, uh, maybe, I doubt, uh, a lot of people perhaps want to see a Connor, but I doubt that. Uh, but right now, you know, he's the interim lightweight champion, so... Him and uh, Dust, or excuse me, Dustin Poirier, actually is the interim. Excuse me, because uh, I believe Tony Ferguson had to forfeit because uh, due to injury at the time, and so him and Khabib, it's Tony Ferguson deserves it. You know that that fight again, another fight that would make sense and bring in the ratings, bring in the reviews. So uh, who knows what's gonna happen. And, uh, yeah, um, Ferguson was an interim champion and that should have been, you know, the event (laughs) or should be an event, but, um, we'll see what happens. Uh, Dustin Poirier recently, you know, about two months ago, beat Max Holloway for the interim title. So, um, if everything goes well, I mean, hell, I mean, the the ratings and the 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 budget that they would bring in i mean man tony ferguson he's he's a bad man i mean that dude that the only two guys i could think is i mean i don't know probably dustin and then khabib 
but I think a fight a lot of people would want to see is Khabib and uh, Tony Ferguson, but that's just me. Uh, Khabib, he's been, again, another phenomenal fighter. It's been tearing fighters left and right. So we'll see what happens there. But I think they're going to try and, obviously, you always want to unite the titles and make it unanimous. So they'll make a Dustin Poirier and Khabib fight, probably, most likely. But other than that, I mean, for those who don't know, I mean, summer is kind of a big time for MMA in general. They like to make a lot of big fights in the summertime. So, and again, another big fight, um, UFC on ESPN, which, again, another big deal that UFC did, which awesome i mean you get all the fights you want from now until god knows whenever they formatted back in the 90s every fight you ever wanted to see they got it in their little gallery there uh a big fight not till uh about two weeks from now francis nagano versus junior de santos oh my god for those again another info for those who don't follow mma or ufc francis nagano is a monster this man i swear to you if if there i I don't even know how to give a definition to this man but my god francis nagano is the next big thing and there's i don't care who you are you it's just francis nagano he's one of those guys this dude i mean just a monster of a man when I say monster, this dude is just straight jacked, 6'5", 260, pure muscle. He has no neck. His muscles got muscles. And I remember my brother placing a bet actually back in February of 2019. And Cain Velasquez was making his infamous return to the octagon. Keep in mind, he was inactive for about two, three years Kane has been injury prone, unfortunately, and he could have been one of the best heavyweights of all time because during his prime era, he was tearing guys up too. Lesnar wasn't coming close. Junior DeSantos, they were one and one. Uh, God, I'm trying to think. I think Gabriel Gonzaga. Kane was just, he was one of those it guys. Now it's Francis Nagano. Uh, Francis Nagano, this dude, his power. No one comes close. He's knocked out Alistair Overeem. Again, another monster of a man. Andre Flosky, Anthony Hamilton, Curtis Blades. Um, not once, but twice. And when Kane decided to make his return, I was like, all right, cool. But it's got to be a warm-up fight, right? He's been missing for two years now. I don't know who his manager is or Kane was just that confident. But Kane Velasquez, I don't know how no one decided to be like, hey, let's fight Francis Nagano, even though you haven't fought in two years. I don't know whose idea that was. Me, as a friend, personally, I would have told him, I'm like, you're nuts. Have you not seen a highlight reel of this dude? It's all knockouts. And they're not just, you know, Mickey Mouse guys, undercard guys. These are big time headliner guys. You know, these are former champions, whether UFC or, or other brands of Pride or Bellator or whatever, you know, they were a part of. These guys are big name dudes. Uh, the only two losses he has, he's third, or excuse me, uh, three losses he has were just by decision. Um, you know, impressively enough, uh, Derek Lewis, who has a hell of a chin, was able to outlast him. He, he lost by decision. 
Uh, but what's uh, and he lost the steep old meal chick. He lost the steep old meal chick, and then that was it. And they're all, all his losses were by decision. Other than that, Francis Nagano, this dude is the heavyweight king of KOs. And so him and Junior DeSantos two weeks from now, man, that's that's got to be a, the slugfest of the summer, no doubt. Unless maybe Tiago Santos and John Jones surprise both of us. But for right now, I mean, the early prediction, who knows? It could be fight of the year, but... Junior DeSantos, who, you know, did have his little reign during that time, during his heyday, and he had that little rivalry between him and Kane, and Kane was able to, uh, you know, beat him not once but twice, I think, I believe. So, excuse me. I think they're even, actually. I'm not too sure. But nonetheless, uh, DeSantos, he's riding a three-fight win streak. He's riding high. Uh... Previous two fights, back-to-back KOs, uh, one against, you know, the infamous Derek Lewis, who's been known to have a solid chin and beat Francis Nagano. So, with that being said, you know, like I've previously stated before, MMA in general is a crazy sport. Anything can happen. It don't matter who you are. So, um, we'll see what happens. Like I said, Stipe, you know, again, another future Hall of Famer. He he, he lost to Kane twice. He's he's one and two against them, but he's he's had his well-rounded resume with Shane Carwin, or defeating along the likes of Shane Carwin, Kane, Frank Mir, Gabriel Gonzaga, Mirko Krokop, Fabrizio Werdum, Ben Rothwell. He's just, you know, a few fights, um... He'll be, you know, trying to get back to that title contention. And he'll follow short. You know, he he had a solid win against Stipe one time in decision, and then he gets KO'd by Overeem, and then gets a solid decision against Rothwell, and then gets a title shot against Stipe Miocic, and then Miocic knocks him out. He learns from his lessons. So. Either way, that's gonna be a slugfest. I'm I'm a heavy. I'm gonna take the. I'm gonna take Francis Nagano though. I think he knocks out the Santos, cause Francis Nagano. Whew, like I said, the hype is real with him. So, and I think this fight, it's gonna, it's gonna go two, three rounds. But, um, if I had to make a prediction, I think second round, uh, someone's getting knocked out, and I really, I don't. I don't know. I just don't think uh, DeSantos, he has power, but not like power like Francis Nagano. Either way. So, with that being said, um, speaking of Stipe Miocic, you would think the fight they would have right now, he's in the heavyweight rankings. uh, He's number one in the UFC. And you would think they would make this rematch with him and Cormier now. Since we're approaching a year since his last fight. So I don't know what the deal is going on there. He's been one of the most recent successful title uh, defenders. Before losing to Cormier back in July 2018. You know, he was on a tear. 
again. He was, you know, he was knocking out dudes. Arvlowski, uh, then Werdum, who was the heavyweight champion. Then he got that crown. Then he beat Overeem. Then the Santos. And then uh, he got that decision win over Nagano. So, um, with that being said, it, it it broke the record for most consecutive heavyweight title defenses, which was three, which is crazy, right? I mean, for as long as UFC's been around, it's only been a three-fight win streak in the UFC heavyweight division. So that's how much fluctuation of the titles has switched hands. So you would think, you know, him and Cormier would have that rematch. rematch. I mean, he has that, right? He hasn't. Besides that Cormier loss, he hasn't lost since 2014. That was five years ago. So, but I I don't know what Dana White and UFC, what they decide to do. Um, Actually, you know, speaking of which, never mind. They have rescheduled a rematch. So, disregard what I said. UFC 241. They finally scheduled a rematch. Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic. Which is August of 2019, August 17th. So hopefully both men can stay healthy. And a solid uh, card. Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz makes his return. Yella Romero, again, another dude that's, you know, built like a brick shit house. Nate Diaz, he's so tactical. He's fun to watch. He talks trash, but he can back it up. Um, you know, his last fight was August of 2016. So that's going to be interesting to see how he comes back. Uh, being three years outside the octagon, actually. Uh, he lost by decision majority at the welterweight bout. It's fight of the night and fight of the year. Uh, so him and Connor both split their their uh, uh, matches. But uh, Nate Diaz, man, he's fun to watch. And a guy like him, he has a hell of a chin. Hell of a chin. Because that first round, when the first time he met, met Connor McGregor in the center of the octagon... Man, he was taking punches left and right, and I thought for sure he was gonna knock him out. And he, Connor, he he's known to have heavy hands, for you know, especially a guy like him. Um, but he couldn't do it. And Diaz lasted that round, and that this was a welterweight bout, and he was able to last Connor that first round. Connor, you know, he he uh, you know he emptied the gas tank in that first round. And especially move up on 170, where more majority of his career he's always fought at 155. So, um, hey, Nate Diaz, he's a he's a rare guy that you're gonna see. The only time he loses, for the most part, is by a decision. He's only lost once by knockout, once by submission. He's 19-11. Most part, he's gonna submit you. Uh, he does have some hands, though. He can catch you. He is a boxer. He's an expert in Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the ground. But uh, his boxing skills, it, they can't be tamed. Uh, I mean, he's hes dangerous. I mean, we're talking about the Diaz brothers. Him and Nick Diaz. I mean, hell, these guys do triathlons on their off, you know, when they're not training for an event. So, and their cardio, their endurance is wild. They, they never get tired. That's one thing that you can expect from them. Come fourth, fifth round, they're ready to go. They never get tired. But guys like him, um, it's good. It's three years. Oh man, that's a long time. But if anyone, if I had to choose anyone to, you know, return to the octagon three years later and still be good in good conditioning, I would say Nate Diaz. I think he's fine. 
maybe a little rusty the first round, but uh, facing someone along the likes of uh, Anthony Pettis, it's, uh, you know, going to be tough, no doubt. Um, I, I can't, uh, I mean, especially someone like Anthony Pettis, who's been so active, I would think Nate Diaz, I would prefer him to fight someone a little less uh, not as high in the in the welterweight division in the rankings. He's top ten in the top ten. But hey, if, knowing someone like Nate Diaz and his attitude and his aura and how he is, I'm sure he's well confident. Uh, so hey, that's it's gonna be a solid fight. Uh, uh, <clears throat> as a fan, I would take him, but on paper. For someone that's been still active and fighting in the past, especially the past three years, I got to take Anthony Pettis. I think it's a decision win. But Daniel Cormier, Steve Miochik, as well as that same card as Anthony Pettis and Nate Diaz, UFC 241, uh, August 17th, 2019. It's going to be a hell of a fight. And who knows, it could be Cormier's last fight. You know, a lot of people want to see that Cormier-John Jones 3, that trilogy. They want to see that third fight. But I don't think it's going to happen. Cormier's, he's he seems at peace with it. He decided, look, I lost to the guy not once but twice. It, it is what it is. But how wild would it be if, say, you know, it takes six, seven, eight months advance right now, right? Let's say Cormier wins. Let's say he makes another successful title defense of the heavyweight crown. Because besides besides John Jones, Daniel Cormier cannot be touched. Another bad dude. He's destroyed everyone. Anthony Johnson, Anderson Silva, Alexander Gustafson, Anthony Rumble Johnson, Dan Henderson, Roy Nelson, Frank Mir, Stipe, uh, Derek Lewis. Besides John, the John Jones fight, this man has destroyed any, uh, all, all future all famers. Josh Barnett, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, Jeff Munson. I mean, the list just it never stops. So him being Olympic gold medalist in re- wrestling, uh, he, he's 40. So uh, 22 wins, one loss. Technically two losses, but technically just one loss and one no contest. Since uh, the last fight that he, he, you know, against John Jones, John Jones uh, tested positive for a steroid metabolite, which was Tyranobol. Uh But that was back in 2017, uh, late July. So besides, I mean, besides that fight, he's been riding high again. He, uh, he defended the light heavyweight championship against uh, Vulcan. Uh, I'm gonna chop up that name. Uh, Ozet Ilmar, uh, but he returned back to heavyweight champ, uh, the champion, or excuse me, heavyweight division, and he vacated a light heavyweight championship, and obviously John made his return, and so here we are. So the trilogy fight, I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't think it's going to happen. It's what we want to see as fans. We want to see a third fight. Granted, you know... It, the third fight would make more sense if it was split. If Daniel was able to actually get a W against uh, John. But I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, sealing a tri- uh, trilogy fight. <sighs> I don't know. Especially when someone's 0-2. It's a rare thing to see. 
Uh, but the rivalry, since it's so heated in the past between those two, is so interesting and so fun to watch in the entertainment. And it brings in the money, it brings in the budget, it brings in the revenue, brings in the, the attendance, breaks records. That's something that I would you know, possibly reconsider again as Dana White. But again, who knows uh, what Daniel wants to do. Or maybe John Jones, say he, say Daniel makes his successful defense against Stipe in August. John makes his sex, successful defense back in July of Tiago Santos. Then, then you got to start consider of weighing your options. Daniel Cormier, he's 40. He turns 41 in March. So, and he, you know, he's, he's mentioned retirement before. Do you get a trilogy fight, but have John move up in heavyweight? That's the only way I could see it happening. John has dominated everyone in the light heavyweight division, including Daniel twice. Uh, I mean, John's defeated anyone you can think of. If your favorite fighter from the mid 2000s to you know the the early 2010s, he's beaten them. Rampage Jackson, Rashad Evans, Leonardo Machida, Shogun Rua. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, golly, I mean, it, the list. Uh, his his resume, besides you know the the legal actions, which is his personal life, which you know it is what it is. We all mess up. Uh, you know his drug testing and uh, I. You know, and people question, questioning his legacy and his legitimacy. Um, I mean, man, the dude is. And he's beaten everyone. Gustafson, uh, Glover Teixeira, uh, Anthony Smith, <clears throat> Vitor Belfort. I mean, technically speaking, the dude is really, I mean, he's 26-0. and Not one loss was by dis- disqualification to uh, Matt Hamill, which was an illegal downward elbow. But, but at the same time, you know, that... Uh, he's still he's still young and up and coming, and um, he was down. Dom- if you ever look up that fight, he was dominating Matt Hamill the entire time. So the the man is virtually he's twenty six and zero, and no one has come close. But I I wish I shouldn't say that. The first Cormay fight that was close, uh, and then the second Cormay fight it was a little closer. But come the third round, uh, John, you know, he connected with them, and that was it. But, of course, that was the one fight the, that turned into a no contest. Um, and then everyone else, I mean, <clears throat> besides, you know, the Daniel Cormier fights, the first Alexander Gustafson fight, that was uh, that was his first legitimate test at defending the lightweight championship. Besides that, he was being Chael Sonnen and Evans and all those guys. But uh, Gustafson gave him run for his money back in 2013. Um, but man, his title defenses—it's uh, just phenomenal. And John Jones, he's a talent like that. Well, I don't think we'll see for a long time in MMA. It's gonna be a minute. Um, when it's all said and done, I think you know we're all gonna look back and be like. Despite you know this allegations of drug testing, he's even gone on record and said on my kids, I never you know I never took anything. Uh, he's very you know 
he's he's upfront about it so um you know, he constantly denies it to this day despite what you think on the whole steroid allegations this and that or his personal life which shouldn't affect you know his legacy as an athlete he he's probably you know, most likely right now he's going to go down as the greatest of all time uh, i don't think we'll see anyone come close to that for a while and I think what will solidify it if he moves up to heavyweight and just starts wrecking stuff there. But I don't know. I don't know what his thoughts are on moving up to heavyweight. Uh, not a clue. But uh, since he's been dominating for so long, uh, for God knows, <clears throat> for since he started, since forever, um, you would think it makes sense. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, either way, uh, he brings in the numbers, no doubt. The pay-per-view buys are, are over $7 million, So, But with that being said, um, again, I, 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 I apologize in the beginning that I haven't been so frequent on my episodes and whatnot. So... But with that being said, I appreciate everyone uh, listening in, tuning in. I hope everyone has a great weekend. It's Saturday. Go do your thing. Little kind of like meh day, cloudy out. I don't know if it's supposed to rain here in Michigan, but Michigan weather, we've been getting more of kind of like a fall-like weather, kind of like just, I don't know. But it is kind of humid out, though. I will say that. It's not cold, so we're getting there. We don't get summertime until like mid-July, so... Either way, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Stay safe out there, whatever it may be. But with that being said, um, I'm Mitchell Anderson. This is Injured Reserve, and I will talk to you all later.